0: On this episode of This Week in Space, we're taking a look at the world of space TV programming with Jeff Stepp, producer of The Unexplained, with William Shatner. Stay with us. Podcasts you love.
1: From people you trust. This
0: This is Twit. This is This Week in Space, episode number 96, recorded on February 2nd, 2024. It's Space TV. This episode of This Week in Space is brought to you by Delete Me. Have you ever searched for your name online and didn't like how much of your personal info was available? Delete Me helps reduce risk from identity theft, credit card fraud, robocalls, cybersecurity threats, harassment, and unwanted communications overall. I've had the pleasure of using Delete Me and I have to say it was much, much easier than I expected to get the service up and running. And I've noticed the results. It's, uh, it's nice to see that there's less of me out there than there was before. Now, the first step is to sign up and submit some basic personal info for removal. Delete me experts will find and remove your personal information from hundreds of data brokers, helping to reduce your online footprint and keeping you and your family safe and secure. Delete me will continue to scan and remove your personal information regularly. This includes addresses, photos, emails, relatives, phone numbers, social media, property value, and more. And since privacy exposures and incidents affect individuals differently, their privacy advisors ensure that customers have the support they need when they need it. Protect yourself and reclaim your privacy by going to joindeletemecom slash twit and using code TWIT. That's joindeleteme.com slash TWIT and code TWIT for 20% off. Hello and welcome to another episode of This Week in Space, the Space TV Edition. I'm Rod Pyle, editor chief of Ad Astra magazine, and it is my honor to be joined, as always, by the immaculate Tarek Malik, editor chief of Space.com. Hello, Mr. Immaculate.
2: Hello, hello, Rod. That's uh, that's my my stage name, by the way, Mr. Immaculate. Just one of there. them.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. We can't yeah, exactly. say the other ones on a G-rated program. Uh, <laughs> today we are going to be joined by Jeff Step, who is a a friend. Uh, a friend of the show and a friend of mine and, and one of the titans of nonfiction programming for space and science television, that's right, which is an increasingly challenged area. And, uh, it's, it's great that there are people like this still involved so that we don't start having to see all our science programming look like swamp people or something. I met Jeff while I was doing a, a, quote, expert appearance on on the history channels, William Shatner's unexplained. And also, uh, well, he—I don't think he does ancient aliens, but but shows that ilk. And he's one of the good guys that keeps his kind of programming on the rails, which is not always an easy task, as we'll find out. Couple of <laughs> housekeeping memos. Uh, first up, Twit needs your help, and we want to keep our show in the air and Twit available to all, so you can help for just seven dollars a month by joining Club Twit, and we thank you. I also want to thank everyone who participated in the Twit annual survey. You helped us in our continuing efforts to refine and improve the great programming across the Twit network which used to support by joining Club Twit, but I already said that. So as my countrymen from Wales might say, okay, I'm going to get blasted for this one, Dario Cella, which is, I think, thank you in Welsh, which is where my family came from, but I've never nice. been there, so I'm sure I mangled it. And now it's time for the Trademark Bad Dad Space Joke. This week from regular listener contributor and good friend and author and humorist martin lawler is one of the smartest guys i know he's got a very impressive intellect and he could spin a good joke which is sometimes rare for the show hey Tarek. yes rod why was gemini 10 scared of gemini 7 i don't know why because gemini 7 8 9
2: i love it i love it
0: that's pretty good isn't it yeah it it took me a second and i went damn that's clever oh, and he I, didn't get it out of a book that was him
2: i i i i saw where you were going and uh and i was there for it you know <laughs> so i got it. really i, was, yeah, I didn't I, see a comment i read it oh, and i was like well, wait what oh i get it well, yeah that that's that's like a classic dad joke that has a nice space twist to it so <laughs> why was six afraid of seven right because seven eight nine I, all right
0: my my dad never told me that joke actually uh, my dad didn't tell jokes that might have been the problem <laughs> all right well as always we invite you to contribute to our our space jokes which are usually lame but that one wasn't send your best or worst to us and don't forget to do us a solid make sure to like subscribe and all that podcast stuff because it's free and we love you and we need it now yes. headlines uh, here's the big one <laughs> Starliner at
2: last question mark <laughs> wow. Still on track is 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 the lo- is the news on, there. <laughs> which track though?
0: No, I I I I beat up on Starliner it's not fair, but it is it's it's really late. So yeah. Would like to see him fly.
2: Yeah, and so so the the latest news which came out uh, over the last week is um is that NASA and Boeing have basically put out a status report to say that uh Boeing is still Shooting for mid April. That's kind of the end of the status report is what is what is what this update was. But they, but, but, uh, uh, as, as our, our listeners might recall, uh, Starliner's first crewed flight has been delayed for years after an initial, uh, failed uncrewed, um, test flight and then a second successful test flight, uh, uh several years later that, uh, was then followed by the discovery of lots of other issues in both the parachute system as well as apparently an entire interior Lined with flammable tape that they had to then go in and and remove and on the
0: then, wiring, correct? Yeah,
2: and on, on the wiring, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and so so they've been hard at work to fix all that. NASA actually said, uh, and I quote, that teams have made significant progress in resolving technical issues identified during the agency's flight certification process. And those are the issues: the the tape around the electrical wiring or along the interior. This um, uh, this this. The, the, the connectors, oh, I don't remember the name of them offhand now, but the, the, some of the, the, the vital connectors in the parachute lines, yeah, uh, parachute that, rides. that, that link it to the, the capsule itself, uh, they weren't, um, they weren't rated to hold, uh, the capsule up with like one parachute down. That was like a, a key safety need that they needed to do. So they've got all that fixed. In fact, uh, since we last spoke about this, uh, they've, they've had some successful parachute tests with the new and final design, which is really encouraging. They were perfect tests. Nothing went wrong at all, which is always great uh, to to see. And so uh, the crew capsule is uh, uh, getting ready to, to kind of get all of that, that work closed out. And they're still looking for like a mid April uh, launch, which is nice because you're not seeing the last few updates we've had. That launch date was like slipping and slipping until at the last one, it slipped to April. So now, They're still sticking to that, which is good. And uh, so we've got about three more months, Rod, uh, I think, to see how close they're going to get. And hopefully before this summer, astronauts will fly. And, you know, Sonny Williams has been waiting for that for quite some time, the astronaut.
0: So as a guy who's written press releases for a living before, when people say significant progress, that always worries me because that's like that could be like me saying We've made significant progress in improving the quality of our jokes in our podcast, but I think with all eyes on Boeing for this, at least on the space side, now they're probably working very hard to get these problems resolved because a couple of them, I mean, you know, problems with parachute shrouds, SpaceX had the same thing with the Dragon, but it wasn't the same type of problem as I understood it. It wasn't that the materials weren't rated properly. It's that they were behaving in a way that they didn't foresee. If you're talking about flammable tape or underrated parachute shrouds, that, that's, you know, kind of a big QC issue um, for the engineering up front. But
2: yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll the see. the parachute issue was was about these components called soft links, which is like where the lines are connected between the parachute mm-hmm. and the capsule itself. And it just turned out that those those lines that they had used on the last flight were not rated uh, for the, 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 the weight load that they needed them to be. So they had to redesign that. They've done that. Um, in fact, the last parachute test was, was, uh, reported earlier this month as being a success. And on the tape side, they removed like 4,300 feet of this tape inside oh. the capsule, 17 wow. pounds in all. And tape's not, not a heavy thing. That's not no. a lot of tape <laughs> to, to, to remove, uh, from the, the spacecraft and, and replace with something new. So, uh, so they, they, they really want to make this, go correctly um and nasa astronauts butch wilmore and Sonny williams they've been waiting for years for this um uh this 10 day i think it's a 10-day flight that they're going to do for this first cool. flight and uh we'll see how that goes next up
0: the japan slim uh lander which managed to set down inverted but did manage to set down and operate for a bit had rovers and we didn't hear much of the news about this, but the rovers I was surprised to find out a couple of days later did deploy. Too many yeah. rovers, a hopper and a driver, and have been working. But I believe night has either fallen or is about to fall on lunar it, surface, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. So this was like a big, a big success, and it's probably taken what I think is the space photo of the year so far. I don't know it's it's we're only like a month in, um, but uh, these little um, what are they called? There they were. They, there were two of them. Uh, these These landing vehicle one and two that the the lunar ex- exploration vehicle pardon me one and two that as slim the 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 moon lander was was approaching it like popped them out so it ejected them before yeah. it landed um and uh, what we found uh, just over the last week is that they they released this nice little cute picture of their mommy lander sticking their nose first in the dirt, <laughs> like a like a dart, like a lawn dart on the wow. moon. <laughs> so, that is so odd, and and it, it, it's so weird because it's it's so easy to like laugh at it and like make jokes, and yet and yet the picture is just amazing that it right. fell in a way that it could take the picture of the of the slim lander. And then, in the next few days, the lander woke up and took a bunch of pictures and other science all around it. All around it, um, and just in the last couple of days before we recorded this, is when the lunar night descended—the two-week-long lo- lunar night on on the landing site where Slim is—and uh, and so that is kind of it for now for the lander. So a lot of drama around this, uh, this landing, you know, was it a success? Was it not? I think we can say that it it was now for sure because it, it did wake up. It did, uh, do science. It did do all the things it needed to do to prove the technology. These little, uh, um, uh, daughter probes worked pretty well. It seems like, and while they don't have the heaters that you would want, to get through the the lunar night it will be interesting in two weeks time the lunar night's 14 days uh to see if they wake up again because i think we would all like that to happen so
0: well in the waning days of the cold war we would have just wrapped the little rover around a chunk of plutonium yeah that's which right Would give off heat but it's in <laughs> short supply these days did the hopper
2: hop do you know no i, no, I don't know about that uh, i know mm. that the 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 initial lander the sora q uh is you know did its, its little landing and like photo, photo, uh, mission. Um, and they, they, uh, uh, the image, it looks like what what it did show though, is that when the slim probe landed, it slid a bit, uh, mm. on its nose, like it so it landed and then kind of skidded up, uh, is mm. what they think is, is happening. So it was really helpful, uh, in that, in that sense to understand like what happened, but I, I hadn't heard if the, if the little hopper did his hoppy thing yet.
0: So, well, that's a robust piece of hardware that can land on his head and be okay. I'll All right, you. and finally, weird exomoons.
2: That's right. Oh. Team, are Cole they there? Exomoon is back. Are they? Are, are they? I, it's like is, is Pluto a planet or not? I mean, you yeah. know, we talking offline about that. But now it's like, is there an exomoon or not? And this is something that's been going on. I kid you not, for almost six so years.
0: So, define exomoon is a moon yes. around a planet, not in our solar system.
2: That, right? That's right. Think, uh, think Pandora. Pandora. In in Avatar is a moon around a, a gas giant, uh, and and so scientists are looking for these kind of exomoons around exoplanets because perhaps they might be suitable for life as well, uh, or help us understand how planets form. Because the only big moon that we've seen is the one around uh, around Earth, right? So, uh, around with with, with a, ha- a habitable uh, a system nearby. And uh, in 2018, uh, some astronomers found what they thought was the first ever. Exomoon, and it was uh, a satellite of a planet around the alien planet Kepler 1625b, which is like a Jupiter sized world about 8,000 light years from Earth. And how would, you know, and that was really exciting. It was, it was discovered by the Kepler Space Telescope, um, and, uh, or spacecraft, right? Because Kepler was like a dim, dimmable, uh, 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 instrument. And, uh, but only then it's kind of been cast out for doubt because in 2022, Another set of scientists, which included uh, the original uh, uh, researcher, David Kipping, an astronomer at Columbia, uh, said that they, they had found a, a second one uh, there. And yet now people are saying that perhaps they weren't moons, that they, 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 they don't exist at all. And yet another study is now saying that maybe they actually are there. So the, the, big, the big question right now is that, is this a, really an exomoon or is it not? an exomoon. And so there's another team of astronomers that are led by, um, uh, by uh, researcher Renee Heller at the Max Planck Institute uh, for solar system research, uh, who, who says, no, uh, both of these exomoons around this planet don't exist. And, uh, and now Kipping, the original discoverer and his colleagues uh, have, have produced this, this other paper that says, no, they are perfectly valid exomoon candidates. And he thinks that they've shown it convincingly. And he says, and I quote, so um, so what do I think is really going on, and why, why didn't they get a moon, is what he told us. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, anyway. well, very good. Uh, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's, it's the next big debate, to exo-moon or not, I think, in space right now. So. All right, very good.
0: Uh, we will be back after a few moments to meet up with Jeff Stepp. Stay with us. And we're back with Jeff Stepp. Producer extraordinaire, Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you coming in. Thanks for having me, Rod. It's good
1: to be on the other side of the chair for once.
0: Well, I was going to say, I, I, I have such pleasure now being able to put you in the hot seat for a change instead of me stumbling over my lines, which is, <laughs> well, less said about that, the better. So, um... If you would just give us a brief rundown of what you do now and how you got there, because you have an interesting career path and an interesting forward trajectory, and I'd love to hear a little bit about it.
1: Yeah. So, what I do now is I produce and write documentary television for sort of whoever will hire me. Right now, I'm working on a show called The Unexplained with William Shatner uh, for history on linear TV. And I've been doing shows like this for a long time. I started producing. I mean, back in 2010 on Through the Wormhole with Morgan Freeman, uh, which was for Science Channel and an amazing sort of, you know, old school format of, you know, talking heads and B-roll and, and some tech demos. But the first show where we really got to do real science and talk about real science without having to sugarcoat it or simplify it too much. Um, and that just sort of kickstarted me. It's funny, I've worked on maybe three or four shows that is like title plus octogenarian celebrity. I've done,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've and I'm done on my Freeman.
1: <laughs> yeah, Rod Pyle, we're getting there. Um, I've done Morgan Freeman. I've worked with Lawrence Fishburne and uh, William Shatner at this point. So, you know, it's a, a hallowed ground uh, on which to tread with these guys. And they're all great and fun, fun to work with. But it's just, it's funny when you look at your career and you think, how did I get into this sort of format. So
0: here I am. You mean, how did I get into the television presenter's senior citizens home?
1: I can <laughs> say that. You can't.
0: <laughs> so to be clear, you worked with Science Channel,
1: History Channel. Have you worked with with Discovery? Yet? I've done a Discovery show, a different, not, not the sort of science talking head doc format. Uh, this was more of a, this was called Hard to Kill with Tim Kennedy, which mm-hmm. was, we take this guy, a former SEAL, you know, hardcore alpha male person and throw him in a bunch of... <laughs> you know, survival scenarios. And, you know, we like we tossed him out of a helicopter in Alaska into a frigid lake and, you know, watched him try to survive and stuff. Please don't do that with me. <laughs> I heard
2: that's the sequel, right? Uh, for, for the series. Watch Rod float and die. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, I, 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 was, I was taken, uh, Jeff, by your, your point about octogenarians. And, I, and um, <laughs> I'm curious if you feel that that is just a coincidence of the science programming that that you've helped bring to the public, or if there's something in the gravitas of the spokesperson um, that gets people to maybe trust what you're telling them, you know, is real, uh, you know, in this day and age, I guess we're all talking about what's real and what's not uh, when it comes to news in, in general. Um, but it seems like trying to get people to understand what the, what the true facts of, of a science, you know, concept that you're trying to relate in uh, a given uh, uh, a show on the unexplained uh, that that can be kind of tricky. I mean, is there, is, is, is it just because it's William Shatner or, 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 or Morgan Freeman there, or, or is it really just uh, kind of a mix of, of, of both attention and then the concept itself?
1: I think it's really a, a consequence of the, the type of media that we're producing for linear television and the sort of environment that we're in today and the people who watch that programming, right? It's, History Channel is not doing shows for Gen Z. It's barely doing shows for millennials, right? It's really trying to hit, you know, Gen X, baby boomers. And these are the, you know, although they may be 80 or 90 years old today, you know, the Fishburns and the Shatners and the Freemans, they were in their prime when these people were in their prime. And so they inherently trust them and bring eyeballs to the screen. Oh, you know, if you say I'm watching a show called The Unexplained. Okay, great, but oh, it's hosted by William Shatner, and it's all that yeah. space and you know mysteries and of the world. Oh, that's that's cool, right? So that for some reason has become the way to do linear television in this space is you have to have some celebrity cachet. You know, even even the Nacho Show um, with Will Smith, right? It's always got to be an A-lister. Because they think that's the only way people will watch, and in some mm-hmm. respects, they're probably right. Can I can I ask you what your first science show you ever saw
2: was? For me, I was probably three, two, one. Contact on PBS when I was when I was a kid, uh, where you would get some some science lessons there. But I'm just curious if there was one that you that you recall being somewhat
1: formative to expose you to space or or science or something. I think. In elementary school, we had to watch The Voyage of the Mimi. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Did. yeah. <laughs> that was in it. Ben Affleck as a child or a yeah. teenager. I can't remember exactly what was in it. And the only thing I remember from that show is that there's one episode where they're talking about hypothermia and the two people have to share a sleeping bag, essentially naked. because That's, <laughs> how, you, that's how you stay warm. And because so.
2: skin contact
1: is the best heat conductor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> do I have to so, do it with or can I choose my target? depends on where you're at, you know, if he's the only guy around, you
0: might want to get close. Well, we're both large and burn a lot of calories, so that could work. Oh, I wanted to
2: be, I wanted to be on that ship so bad as a kid. Okay, (laughs) you
1: guys get a room. uh, Um, But I'd say after that, you know, uh, real television, like not just something you're shown in school, um, probably Nova would be mm -hmm. the.
0: Oh, Nova was amazing. So I started with uh, watching, the first memory I have of Science TV is watching Werner Van Braun on the Tomorrowland show, that shows you how much older I am, talking about rockets going to the moon, which was really, it was cool, but I sort of cringe at how long ago that was. So speaking of long ago, uh, I don't talk about it much on here, but I did have a brief career working with History Channel also, starting With a show called Brute Force Weapons at War back in the 90s. Um, And it was what was noteworthy to me was it was just it was like the first big move past Ken Burns television. I love Ken Burns. Everybody loves Ken Burns. But you got to drink a lot of caffeine to stay awake during those slow camera crawls over stills. So this was um, when Civil War Journal came out, a company called Greystone. They picked up the pace, you know, they, they found an economical way to do what, what Burns was spending a lot of money doing and doing well. And then that kind of, that was actually right when the Adolph and Eva channel became history channel and he sort of became history. So at the time it was really popular and it wasn't a hard sell, but. It seems like, and I'm I'm working up to a question, I promise. It seems like we've sort of turned this corner away from, obviously, broadcast television and then cable television. And now we're into streaming television where attention spans and formats and venues have changed to the point that they're unrecognizable. So the question I'm trying to work up to is what What to you, from what you will see when you look out there, is the current state of science and dare I use the word educational programming and how does it compare to years past and where is it going? Cause it's tough to keep an audience anymore.
1: You know, as to where it's, we'll start at the end, as to where it's going, I think that's a tough one to predict because I remember when Amazon, you know, first started selling books, people were like, Oh, no, one's going to read anymore. All the bookstores are closing. And yeah, the brick and mortar places are closing, but reading is like still as popular as ever. So I think, you know, a lot of times we, we think, Oh, this medium is dying. You know, no one's watching linear TV anymore. No one's doing science content. And that's sort of true. But I also think it's just changing forms. And one of the things, personally, I think that we need to do as people who make longer form content, uh, we need to stick to the strengths of what that content can be and can do. And to me, that's storytelling, right? There's a really good, you know, there are really good science people on TikTok. Right. They're doing interesting mm-hmm. stuff. There's also really bad stuff, but there's good stuff too. Same thing with YouTube, you know, Vsauce or Chris Gazag, or you know, any of these more in sort of smaller, shorter form content places, uh, those are all great, but they don't lean into what has always been long-form strength, which is storytelling. And one challenge I think that a lot of these streamers and linear TV networks face today is trying to is getting caught in trying to produce stuff that they're not good at. Right. So, Oh, we have to make this new show for these new people, this new audience, this younger audience, you know, it has to be more like YouTube. It has to be more like TikTok. Right. No,
0: right, right.
1: don't do what you're bad at. Right. Michael Jordan shouldn't have gone to play baseball. Right? He, was, <laughs> he was good at basketball. In fact, he was really good at basketball. He should have just stuck with it and he learned his lesson. And I think, I think TV can do that too. And to get to your point about the broader landscape, you know, Curiosity Stream is really the only place where you're getting, like, that's the type of content, documentary, educational content that lives there. You see some stuff on Netflix, you know, and on Apple TV, and every streamer sort of has its prestige blue chip nature series. But that's, I think, the majority of the science content you get on places like that are the Our Planets and the, you know, One Strange Rock and all these kind of nature series, because they're about Earth. You can show cute animals. You can show pretty pictures of vistas. And with space content, it's really hard because you can't anthropomorphize a galaxy, (laughs) you know? It doesn't have a mama bear and a a baby bear that it can shepherd (laughs) them. So it's a long-winded way of saying, I think the content will continue to be made and not disappear, but the form, you know, is, is sort of TBD,
0: well, and that and that's an interesting observation. You were talking about books, and you know, we sort of for us wayward under-earning authors who've got a bunch of them sitting out there slowly rolling onto the, the back order shelf, um we rolled into the pandemic thinking, you know, this is horrible, but maybe people will start reading again. And I had four books released in 2019 with great hopes. A couple of them did okay, a couple did less less spectacularly. And then, you know, we were all kind of waiting with bated breath and there was sort of this, this ghost of a spike at the beginning of the pandemic. And then it sort of flattened out eBooks did take a little bit of a spike, physical books, not so much, but they're really in trouble now. So you go back to publishers today and they're just like, they're, they're tears streaming down their faces. We can't move books except for that handful of A-list, but A-list authors out there. So traditional books are kind of suffering. Um, I don't know about Curiosity Stream. I've heard things coming and going. What we do see, which is kind of a weird outlier for me, and this isn't really related to what I'm saying, but I don't know if you've ever seen any of Isaac Arthur's stuff. He has a a channel on YouTube called Futurism, Science and Futurism with Isaac Arthur, and he's a a friend of the show and the president of the National Space Society as well. He does these hour-long things on, like, Dyson Spheres or warp speed travel or crazy aliens that dress funny and it's him talking with an hour of of cut and cover you know pretty pictures but it's 45 minutes to an hour and he gets between half a million and a million views and it's a real head scratcher to me because i've done stuff that's six and seven minutes for the organization that they're trying to get you know a thousand views so it's it's bizarre, you know, it, it, you, you're talking about the information still sells, but it goes into various different venues. But that one was a shocker to me because I had been told as an older guy, you know, everybody is saying, no, it's got to be three minutes or less or six minutes or less. Here comes this guy slowly talking through an hour and people seem to love it. And it must drive the networks nuts trying to figure out what's next.
1: Yeah, it's it's weird how those – those things catch fire, you know, it's the same was true with any sort of product or, you know, food or trend, you know, Mm -hmm. like the ice bucket challenge, you know, sometimes something just takes off and there's no way you can really predict it. And I think the trap that a lot of content creators fall into is trying to, they see, okay, someone did X and it was successful. I'm going to do X. So it's going to be successful. The truth Mm -hmm. is it's not right. It's never, if you try to ape something else, it's not going to be as good. So my philosophy is when I can do what I'm passionate about and try to convey that passion and make it interesting. If you build it, hopefully they will come, you know, if it's one viewer, a million, I don't think you can really make content trying to, to do that. You know, it's like the commercial back when viral videos were a thing, you know, everyone's like, oh, we're going to make we're gonna make a viral video for our product. Like, you don't make a viral video, right? A video becomes right, 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 right. viral, <laughs> right? You well, this is like say, oh, when
0: all the studios were saying, let's make the next Blair Witch because it was a cult hit and we'll make a cult film. And you can't set
1: out to make a cult film. It's a defiance <laughs> of the whole definition, right? Yeah. I mean, if Tommy Wiseau tried to make The Room on purpose, you know, then it would have not been the same, you know, sort of cult classic. It, you have to just do... Do something full heart and, and then mm. just hope that people come to it. And it, I think back to your, to your point, Rod, about how this, you know, Isaac Arthur was his name, mm-hmm. you know, how he has so many views and, and other videos seemingly shorter don't. I think it's just how do people find this stuff? You know, it's so hard. I have a hard time with all the streaming services and all the stuff online. Like, I don't even know how to find content. You know, there's no TV guide for the 10 different streaming services. and basically remember TV guide. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we used to have the paper I copy. Paper. That we'd, uh-huh. we'd thumb through, you know, like looking down and see the big gray box where the movie was going to be. And, you'd block and, it hi- time. and highlight it. Highlight
2: it so that you knew that that was what was going to come. You know, AI is hey, going to do that wait, for us. Oh, hold on, Tariq, We've got to take a break. We'll be right oh, back of course. after of course. this short break. Go nowhere. Well, yeah, you know, I, I wanted to ask Jeff about... The unexplained and where the decisions go, like how they point you to how you're going to write. I mean, you've been around for you know it looks like what six seasons now, which is crazy, you know, um, for uh, for mining just like these crazy stories that are that are around us. And like you know, just in the sixth season alone, which was you know back in 2023, you, you were looking at presidents and Vikings and monsters among us. I think is the last one there. And I'm curious. If it's like a playground to get to pick your subjects or 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 how you 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 select what type of story you're gonna bring um, to your viewers to both educate and then hopefully
1: uh, entertain them as well the process for selecting what episodes we're gonna do it's pretty pretty top level it's mostly between the upper management at the production company prometheus and and history um, it's a it's a dialogue you know history will say we want X number of shows and so then usually the company will submit a certain number of title ideas or just concepts, you know conceptual ideas uh, and history will say oh we've already got two shows in the works about the pyramids let's skip it or you know oh jfk really rated for us you know last year let's do something on jfk um it's a back and forth you know and then to me you know i'm not usually involved in those decisions those have already been made I often get a choice of you know, hey, here's the ten shows we're doing per season. Which ones look interesting to you? And you know, me and the other producers will sort of portion them out amongst ourselves in kind of a diplomatic way.
2: I I have a, a follow up that is a little embarrassing because I've been wondering it since the show first came out, and and that's the X in in the name,
1: <laughs> and having I mean, it nice. Where's the E? Is that what well,
2: mean? well, I mean, like. These days, it seems like everything has like an X to make it super edgy, and you've got SpaceX and also X, so, which I guess is what Twitter used to be. And I'm just curious if that was ever like in the conversation was you know, hey, we've got SpaceX, and everything is 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 going great for them. so we'll just we'll just go X for explained here uh, in in the title. But I apologize if it seems pedantic. it's just it's something that I've been
1: thinking about since the show first came out. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know the answer to where the (laughs) title came from. That was before my time. I came on in sort of the second part of season one after the show had already... They did, I think, eight episodes um, prior to that. But I don't know. I I think it's a great title, and I think it works better without the E.
2: Yeah. Well,
0: without the E and with a capital X, and I Mm -hmm. can vouch for... uh, If you look at old Pope magazines from the 30s and 40s, there was a lot of Xs in there, and I think that came from x-ray because back in the day x-ray was a big mysterious thing even though we knew what they were x-rays ufos aliens and you know giant rockets were a thing and certainly when i was a kid half the black and white awful low budget science fiction movies had x in the title rocket ship x uh was one of them or x1 so and so the man with the x-ray eyes. I mean, that was big and I always wanted x-ray eyes for obvious reasons, but we won't go there. So, um, yeah, I know you were waiting for that. So Jeff, ig- ignore Tarks snarky laughter at me. It's, it's old history, uh, but you know, entertainment versus education. So uh, again, back when I was getting into reality or then called documentary TV, TLC was the learning channel and, and others were trying to do basically entertaining school on television and it was a mission that slammed right into a brick wall of no people want to be entertained and now of course that's just de facto for for all of us so you know when you're creating these scripts and trying to frame up a show how do you parse out the value or the amount of of volume cranking you do on education versus entertainment versus whatever else you got to put in there
1: it depends on the show you're working on. It depends on the network you're producing it for and certainly the production company that is making the show because ultimately, you know, they're going to be the guardians of, of the content that comes out of their company. <clears throat> um, but I will give you a more specific, specific answer than that. Just saying it depends. Um, it's really tough. I think one of the hard lessons I had to learn very early on in Wormhole, not as much on Wormhole, but still is that most people don't care. And mm-hmm. you have to sort of accept don't, Excuse that, me, don't care about. Don't care about. About. Sort of. Let me rephrase that. It's not that people don't care. It's just that they come to television not to be talked at, even if what they're being mm-hmm. talked at is really, really interesting. Um, there's always got to be some sort of cheese to wrap the medicine in. And, <laughs> you know, as, if you've. That's what a. Mentor used to say to me a long time ago, <laughs> um, and you have to give a lot of cheese, honestly. And you just, as much as you and I and, and the people you know watching and listening to this would love to just sit and listen to scientists talk for forty-five minutes to an hour, we're sort of the outliers, you know. And mm-hmm. just because yeah. we really like it and we are interested in it, doesn't mean that a million or ten million people are going to also be interested in that. Um, so it you have to have a realistic attitude and, and most of that is trying to shoehorn in as much of the education as you can, but realizing it ultimately it's an entertainment medium and just you have to kind of focus on that. That's an interesting
0: observation because when I was first doing radio uh, as a follow on to the whole authoring thing, we have a talk station in LA called KFI that I was working on. And, you know, I was trying to be what I remembered in the old days as Mr. Science. And finally, the like the GM of the station called me up and said, we have to have a talk. And I was like, what did I do? And she said, you have to understand this is entertainment. And I said, but you're a news station. And she said, no, we're an entertainment venue. And I was like, oh, OK, I get it now. So I guess you're kind of in the same boat. Um, I hate to step on Tarek's next question, but but I will. <laughs> how, how are topics chosen and researched because uh, you come up with some really fascinating stuff. And I have to say, I am stunned. I mean, I, I research junk for a living for articles and books. I am stunned at the stuff you guys come up with and the depth and with your research and on those schedules, because your notes when I get them are really great. I mean, astonishing! Oh, they astonishing how much work you do, but how do you
1: pick the topics? Uh, I'm usually given a list of, of what topics we're doing that season. And and I'll get, you know, say there's unexplained mysteries of the universe, the series that I'm doing now, there's me and one other producer. And so we will divide and conquer, you know, Hey, sun episode is something I'm really interested in. Can I have that? And you can have Venus or something like that. Um, Mm. So the topics are sort of called from a larger list before I get involved in the show by the time I come on, I'm given sort of a list, and I choose, and then it's then it's really up to me and my my AP and my co EP and our researchers to say, okay, you know, our title is "Dangers from Space." Okay, that could be a lot of stuff, right? Um, how are we going to fill that out? And that's when we start brainstorming, and it's a very very collaborative process. But you think in terms of six acts, right? So we need six stories, sometimes just five, and. You know, they they can connect. They don't have to connect. Uh, but we just think, okay, what are the obvious low hanging fruits? Okay, asteroids, right? Um, how about CMEs or uh, you know, aliens comes up? You know, let's, let's right. be real, right?
2: <laughs> they are they are uh, going to kill us all, right? Uh, if if <laughs> science fiction has told told us anything,
0: no, so. it's pandemic asteroidal spores. You know, it's true.
2: <laughs> I think that's <laughs> called a uh, panspermia, right? Right, Rod. Uh, well, it depends on which
0: spores you're talking about. But yeah. okay, just ask your question. Don't be weird.
2: <laughs> no, well, you know, as as a, a bit of a follow up to the to the the, I guess how the sausage is made for the show. We haven't asked uh, about what it's like working with William Shatner like yet directly. We talked about it a little bit in the in the beginning but the guy is captain kirk he was tj hooker when i was growing up too uh, and 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 i'm wondering what what it's like to work with someone um like that and it sounds like you've had a lot of experience uh, obviously in your career uh working with um uh, stars to get those messages across and i'm i'm wondering if his kind of status as as not just a, a sci-fi icon but someone who's actually flown in space rod he has actually flown in space on a rocket. <laughs> hey, I give uh, the
0: rocket guys a lot of kudos. It's the other ones, I, I'm if, so smart at.
2: If that, if that, for for folks who don't remember, he launched on Blue Origin's uh, New Shepard in, in yeah. 2021. Uh, uh, if uh, I'm just curious, if, if if you were a big fan of, of Star Trek before you started working uh, working on the show, uh, or or just his his work there, uh, and if. Um, uh, well, you're assuming
0: he's a big fan of Star
2: Trek. I'm assuming. I'm assuming. I'm just asking. Not everybody is.
1: I don't think well, I have ever got to meet him, Jeff. So. I was never a huge Star Trek fan, not because I was not a fan. I just wasn't something that I was interested in growing <laughs> up. Um, sort of, I've I've come to it more later in life. Uh, but with Shatner in particular, I mean, he's a true professional. I mean, really, like it's, and same same thing goes with working with Morgan Freeman too. They're, they're very similar in that they are incredibly smart and they've been around a long time and they know what they're good at and they know how to do it. And you sort of just have to let them do their thing. You know, um, <clears throat> Shatner in particular, you'll write something, you know, you'll write a, a, you know, half page stand up to open the show and you think, Oh, this sounds like Shatner. And then you listen to him and watch him do it. And it's just magical. I mean, the little intonations, the things that he makes funny that you didn't even realize were funny and kind of tongue in cheek, you know, it's, it's really a wonder to watch. And it just happens instantly, you know, the camera rolls and, and boom, he's, he's the guy he is. <laughs> um And behind the scenes, very generous, very generous personality, does a lot of charity work. I actually got to go to this charity he's involved in, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but it's a horse rescue Mm -hmm. in, in downtown LA or not, or sorry, like South of downtown LA. Um, He's very involved in philanthropy and um, took us out to like a nice lunch when we first started on the show. And so, you know, to, to answer your question about Shatner, it's, it's everything you would hope hoped it would be, you know, you, you want to work with people who are sort of will hold you to task, right? Like Mm. you don't, you don't want someone who's just like phoning it in and doesn't care what you do or if your words are good or not you know he'll he'll question you about things and say why are we doing it this way or what is this background and you want someone like that yeah. uh, to work with
0: yeah th- this is kind of off topic, but years ago, I was dating a woman who had a horse up in Burbank in a big stable they have up there where a lot of rich people hang out, including Mr. Shatner and his horses. And I remember seeing him there one day from a distance. I mean, there's this kind of electron cloud of people around him, but I could see over their heads. And he was sitting astride his magnificent mount, and he does this thing, which maybe a lot of people could do, I don't know, from horses, but he would kind of like do that thing they used to do in Westerns and and think to the horse, I, I suspect, okay, walk sideways, okay, walk backwards, and the horse would like do this perfect stuff with the slightest of physical commands and I've never really understood that whole human horse bond, but it was pretty remarkable, but that's not my question. My question <laughs> is, um, you know, pursuant to what we were talking about earlier, we're kind of getting to the point where the age of the gatekeeper seems to be diminishing in media. So when I was a kid for news, it was people like Walter Cronkite and Frank Reynolds, you know, or the big network news stars when you guys were coming up, it was probably other people. Um, sorry i'm getting pinged here um, but and, and in book publishing it was you know the editors or the, or the the publisher themselves and with the emergence of uh what would we call it mass created media i guess you know you no longer have to be a media company to make media obviously you can just be a person they may or may not be a respons- particularly responsible gatekeeper which is something that's creating a problem also, algorithms that select material that's going to feed you what you already want. You know, if you're looking for entertainment, that's great. If you're looking for news and facts, it's not so great. So I'm kind of casting a wide net here, but do you have any thoughts on the whole idea of the gatekeeper? Because you kind of are one, and you may be one of the last ones. Or is it self-selecting that people will seek them out?
1: I don't know if I really am a gatekeeper, to be honest. I think I, I'm still the one trying to storm the castle. and. <laughs> I I think a gate is only as good as its guards, you know, and, and a lot of the gates that we have in traditional media, the guards aren't always so good. You know, it's a tough, it's, it's, it's easy. Okay. It's not easy to green light a nature doc, but it's easy in the sense of that. You sort of know what you're going to get. You're going to get beautiful pictures, you know, stories of animals that you can tell and anthropomorphize and people are going to like it with science content and engineering content. And, it's it's hard to visualize what you're going to get and it, it requires a bit of understanding of certain things about how the world works and how the universe works to even understand what you're being given you know i've before, i've been given a note before uh, on a show that asked me what the difference between a sun a planet and a moon was and really part Part of me was like, you know, wow, you know, I got to step back and try not to like, just jump out the window. But (laughs) um, but it it makes you realize that before it even gets to an audience, it's got to get through a lot of layers of management and people, you know, executives and and approvers and gatekeepers, like you were saying. Um, So I'm all for the gatekeepers getting younger. Um, it's not to diminish the people who are doing their jobs well, but it's a space where space is hard to hard to understand. Um, mm. So, uh, you know, I don't think we should have no gatekeepers at all, right? It should just be a free for all, because then, I, I mean, an algorithm is basically a free for all, right? Let's let's get real. It's not yeah. doing anything it's <laughs> not smart, a gatekeeper. right? It's it's designed to make you click and make you angry and just keep your eyes hyper-focused on your little screen, right? There's nothing like how are we going to provide the best content or the most most truth content. Um, so I think that's reflexively gone in the wrong direction. There needs to be some some curation, but as to who is doing it and where, I think there's a, an opportunity to maybe find, find some new avenues, um, you know, to get people like, people who do understand the space and the science space uh, to try to reach an audience.
0: All right. Well, I think I know what Tark's next question is going to be and I can't wait, but first we have to take a break. We'll be right back. Tark, I think you have a really cool question to ask. I can't wait, wait on this one. Is this the
2: one that you highlighted? I was going to yes. ask a, a different one, but oh, okay, no, go ahead. no, 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 it's, it's, a, it's all right. It's all right. So I, I was thinking about, um, Just a a lot of the subjects of the, of, of, of the show, um, Jeff, and I'm just curious if you get a lot of, of conspiracy fan mail and if there's any, any ones that stand out about the subjects that you're covering, you know, about asteroid apocalypses or, uh, or, or, or whatnot, um, you know, I'm, uh, from, from like your, your, your reader base, uh, I don't think Jeff, or I don't think Rod and I have gotten any, uh, from our, our conspiracy shows. Surprisingly light. Yeah. Uh, but, but I'm just wondering because you cover so many different, like deep dive, like secrets and, and like, like investigations. If, if you get a lot of that kind of feedback and, and if they've led to new gems for, for future episodes over
1: time. Personally, honestly, thankfully, I haven't received a lot of, of stuff communicated to me. But I've, and we do get mail and email, and and never really phone calls. But um, people come in with some really weird stuff, you know. And I can't say that it's ever generated an actual TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it happens. I mean, it happens all the time. This is the same network that shows. Ancient Aliens, you know, Curse of Oak Island, uh, you know, Unexplained is a bit more down to earth, I would say, than a show like Aliens. But you know, the audience is—is is there is some crossover, and you're going to get, you know, you're going to get some interesting, interesting ideas uh, and people with experiences, and <laughs> you know,
0: but, you know, when you when you open that email and it's in all caps, in like eighteen point font, right? You know, uh oh, this is going to be one of those. You need to do coast to coast AM, and then you will well, get cool, cool emails. George has been an
1: expert on the show before, so
0: does he? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 interesting because the first hour you can kind of control a little bit because George is in, at the helm, right? But the second hour, you know, if you're doing an interview, they open it up to the calls, and that's when it gets really interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's easy. To, it's easy to laugh, you know, at at a lot of the people. Oh, go know, ahead, shame me. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, no, I. I, you have to do it it's a, a, a bit cathartic you know yeah. um but then there is something you have to realize that these people are are connecting with what you're making in a way that's very strong and you know that's why something like alien con is is super popular now oh my you know, lord yeah right? and you, you've been there you understand it yeah you it's, go to
0: a regular space conference and you're lucky if you get maybe 900 people you go to alien con and i think it was 9,000. Wow, I right 3,600 of which were jammed into von Doniken's talk in the large auditorium, which was, you know, I mean, it was interesting if you don't know about von Doniken, but if you ever read the books and stuff, you already knew it. But they were just riveted by what he had to say. It's, I mean, it's quite a thing to see. You're right. These people are really engaged.
1: As, as someone who, it's a, a tough, a tough tightrope to walk sometimes because as someone who, wants to be an arbiter of truth and believes in rationality and logic and everything in the universe happens for a reason. And, you know, there aren't little green men on Mars. It's hard to put a lot of that into the show, knowing that you're going to have to kind of dial it back later um, because of, of who the audience is. So uh, on the one hand, you don't want to just make a totally BS made up show like, you know, aliens, built the pyramids and created earth and all this stuff. But at the same time, there are people who, who are interested in in that idea. So one thing that you and X unexplained does well, and the other shows um, on history and from Prometheus, I think they are okay with living in the question, right? It's not like they're saying, okay, Mm. here's what happened. This is definitely the truth. What they're saying is it's probably not, how it happened, but it's okay to say, "Could it have happened this way?" And you know that is anathema to a lot of really scientific ears. But the truth is, you have to exist in that space if people are going to watch this kind of programming. Um, you just you just have to be open. And most of our experts on the show are are generally open to saying, "Okay, I think it happened this way. My training has taught me that it happened this way, but could it have happened another way?" I'll entertain the idea you know it and and often by doing that you kind of even you reinforce what's actually true because you can say well if it happened this way if this conspiracy you know alien sort of thing happened this way well then why didn't this happen or why didn't this happen why don't we see this evidence right so to just blow it off and say oh that's stupid that's just you know these people are conspiracy theorists crazy people it's doing a disservice to the argument, like let let them make the argument and then you can then present the facts that you know in a way that says, hey, yeah, that's perfectly valid opinion to have, but what about this, right?
0: Well, and and I, I should clarify, you know, I keep saying you work for the History Channel, you work for Prometheus Television and, um, and, and do a stellar job of, and actually of the various producers I've worked with from them, I've been really impressed with the top quality. And years ago, I think, I don't remember, I think it was third or fourth season of ancient aliens out of the 115 seasons you guys have done. <laughs> um I got an inquiry and I was, you know, I was in the middle of writing a very heavy science book and I thought, oh, ancient aliens, that's kind of weird and all that. So I, I didn't do it. And then the next time I didn't do it. And then I think I worked with one of you on, on unexplained and after that, I, I was so impressed with the caliber of your research, the responsible way the questions were asked, and the the sound nature of it that I thought, oh, these are the same guys do ancient aliens. I've been turning this down for no reason. And it was, it was just a real pleasure to see that quality and, and, and level of integrity in the work because it's not always the case, as you kind of alluded to. Thank you. You're welcome.
2: Tarek. I, yeah, I, uh, this is of course, Jeff, this week in space and there is no dearth of, of space tales and, and mysteries, um, uh, you know, out out there. And I know that the show has explored quite, quite, quite a good many of them. And I'm wondering what, what you see as the greatest untold mystery still, right. For, for space. And I don't want to put you on a spot or anything there, but you know, you know, some, but I'm just curious if, if, if if you feel that there's one big mystery that you would like to see answered like in 2024, this year, what, what would that be uh, to hopefully help our, our get, help us uh, rest our minds a little bit? Uh, if, if there's anything like that,
1: that, that, I mean, the, this is not like a very unique question or mystery, but the, the fundamental mystery to me is, are we alone? Mm-hmm. Right. Are we, uh, it's obvious that life in the part of the, galaxy in the solar system and even the universe that we know is is quite rare um, or requires some very special conditions to exist but it it's just unfathomable to me to think with the trillions of galaxies and stars and planets that somewhere at some point there hasn't been another attempt you know and so the dream is it is probably for most astronomers and and normal people you know like I don't I don't necessarily need to know that there are little green men running around somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. But just are we is, is this the only way life works? Like do, do we go through prokaryotes and eukaryotes and then, you know, eventually get to humans, or is there some other way, you know, someplace that's done it better? Is there something beyond who we are? You know, we sort of think, Oh, we're humans, we're the pinnacle of evolution, but <laughs> you know, we're gonna be gone way way before the earth is gone and before most of the animal kingdom is gone. So what's next? Um, so that to me would be we're never. it's not going to question it's going to be answered in 2024, you know, <laughs> but we continue to get hints and, you know, JWST obviously is helping us find exoplanets and even start to analyze some atmospheres and hopefully the habitable worlds observatory when that launches in a few years, could get, get this even closer. It's this incremental step. You know, it's unlikely unless, you know, close encounters of a third kind show up on our <laughs> doorstep that we're going to know instantly. But the biggest mystery is has to be are we alone? I mean, it just seems so improbable.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, and, and related to that, I want to point out to our listeners that Jeff wrote a lovely article for the current issue of Ad Astra, which is available in a bookstore near you or to all members of the National Space Society, on. Uh, I, I guess broadly, how will we know life when we see it out there? And can we, will, will we be able to communicate with it? And it was a really thoughtful, well done article as I knew it would be. Um, and in the next issue of the magazine, we do, because you just brought it up, we have a, a former doctor who's written an article on how life might start elsewhere uh, with different chemistries and different types of stars and all that and it's interesting and I had to back a lot of c- chemical formulas out of it, but <laughs> it looks pretty good now on, on Tarek's advice. Um, my question for you, sir, is um, and here's, and it's a big one. So feel, feel free to, to take a swing at the ball, wherever you want to plant it. What's the future of the kind of TV you're interested in doing? What are you going to do next? And what's your next article for Astor
1: going to be about? <laughs> <laughs> The future of the TV that I'm doing, I currently, you know, it's it's hard to see it not evolving into something new. Mm. You know, we're, we're getting to the point where this type of format, I think, is, is you know, it needs a bit of a refresh. What Now, what that looks like, I'm not totally sure. I, I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, I think people who do long form content, we need to lean into what long form is really good at. It's telling stories. And, you know, we're just, it's not going to be a YouTube thing. It's not going to be a TikTok short, you know, like it's, it's gotta be a story and, and we have to figure out how to tell those things. And it may involve some sort of hybridization of scripted and unscripted. That's something that's always been, it's been attempted a few times, you know, the Rod Howard, Ron Howard had that Mars series. And there's been a couple others like that, which. I think can be really interesting but then the trick you run into there is like so you're not doing either thing perfectly right it's like you have right. half a scripted thing but it's not enough money and it's not enough time so it's not quite right and then the unscripted thing is like trying to kind of shoehorn into the scripted part and so it, it doesn't quite work the way you think it might it, it felt
0: like a bit of a pebble in your shoe watching it for me anyway
1: Yeah. But it's like, how do you do something in that vein? You know, that, that to me is something I want to explore. Um, I think I just want to make content that people are interested in, you know, people think, oh, nobody watches science TV or nobody. Well, that's not true, right? There, there is an audience for anything. If, if, if people tune in to watch like, you know, women sitting on balloons for fun, you know, like there's gotta be a niche audience for, for what we do. And we got to find a capture of those people. Um, uh, cause you can, you see them, you know, on forums and on Reddit and and just in comments and people you meet on the street. Everyone I talk to when I work on these shows, you know, every civilian I meet, it's, they're fascinated by this stuff, you know, and said, Oh my God, I could listen to that all day. Or I used to get high and watch Wormhole and just think, wow, this is the coolest, <laughs> you know, coolest thing on earth. And so, so those people exist and, It's the the tricky part is, of course, how do you find them? Then for outlet, how do you monetize it? Um, And that's what scares me a little bit. It's like, are we going to have to start relying on philanthropy? You know, like Mm. just people like the gate, you know, the Gates Foundation or something. You know, sponsors a series. You know, because because no streamer is going to take it on because they're afraid Mm. they're going to lose money. Um, Maybe we have to start thinking of these things as lost leaders. I mean, I think, you know, it's just kind of. Kind of the fact of the fact of life there um, but yeah I would personally I just want to make stories I want to make content that people are interested in watching um, for more than just a few minutes and my specialty is interviews I've done dozens I don't know maybe hundreds at this point of interviews it's really smart really interesting people and a lot of that doesn't get into the shows that we make just out of necessity. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say a heavily used expert in one of our shows, I don't know, three minutes in the 43 minutes of a show, you know, 10 or 15 times a show f- for 10, 20 seconds at a time. You know, an interview itself is two hours. Right. So that's, you know, 60 times the material that appears on screen that we just kind of don't use. So I have some stuff in the works that is going to be trying to showcase more of, of, of that, you know, kind of thought you know, expertise because I've interviewed Nobel prize winners and it just seems a shame to be like, well, you know, so are aliens real? <laughs> you know, like what <laughs> else, what else do you know besides <laughs> that? Right. Um, you know, so hopefully I'll be able to, to announce a little more about that in a, in a month or two, but that's, I think where I'm headed.
0: All right. Well, we'll, we'll be all ears when that, when that comes. And uh, I I want to thank you for coming here today to talk about this stuff. It's, it's an interesting topic and one that's uh, definitely a moving target. Please. Uh, speaking of, of what you're up to next, where can we keep track of what you're doing and where do we see it?
1: The best way is just to go to my website, jeffstep.com. Uh, you know, my newer ventures will have their own websites linked to them. Uh, I'm not going to link them right now, but mm-hmm. yeah, just, I keep everything posted there. I just, it's very simple, basic site, but that's where you can follow me. i am am not a, I'm not a, huge social media person you know not because i don't enjoy you know reading memes and scrolling through weird stuff but (laughs) i think overall i think you you know it's just not not the way i like to communicate with people i prefer a little more kind of direct contact yeah um so yeah jeffstep.com
0: so you're not dying to become an influencer is what you're saying
1: LA's plenty of those. <laughs> I'm not nearly pretty enough or athletic enough, you know, to.
0: Oh, no, no. Like that. So you can't step outside a liquor store without tripping over a snoring influencer <laughs> on the sidewalk. <laughs> so, uh, by the way, um, to, to our listeners, anybody's got any comments, thoughts, questions about this, please feel free to send them along to twist at twit.tv. That's T W I S at twit.tv on old fashioned email. We do answer our emails because we love you. Tark. I would never leave you out of this. Where can we keep an eye on your unbelievably cool and impressive life?
2: Well, as as always, you know, uh, thank you, Jeff, also just for an amazing talk. Uh, But you can find me at space.com, as always, uh, fighting that space good fight. And well, and and this weekend, we'll be watching the AX3 uh, crew return from the International Space Station and splashdown and getting ready for the pace launch. Um, to study tiny microorganisms in the ocean from space uh, with NASA. And as Rod is alluding to with his prod, uh, you, 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 you can watch me play Fortnite and, and hopefully and Fallout and everything at, at Spacetron plays. New Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle update this weekend. Woo, Exciting. But that's not about space at all. So, sorry.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I nodded off there for a moment. Okay, and don't forget <laughs> to, to drop us a line. I already said that. Um, and check out space.com Tark's Turf, the website's the name, and, of course, the National Space Society and NS, NSS.org. Both are good places to satisfy your spaceflight cravings because that's all we do and all we think about. New episodes of this podcast published every Friday on your favorite podcatcher, so make sure to subscribe. Tell your friends and give us reviews. We love reviews, especially when they're good ones. We like those the best. Don't forget, you can get all the great programming on the Twit Network ad-free on Club Twit, as well as some extras only available there. And we'll learn Tarek's secrets, uh, scary as they are, for just $7 per month. And uh, you've you've heard Leo talk plenty on, on his show about the tough times facing podcasters. So please stand up and be counted and join Club Twit because we need you. You can also follow the Twit Tech Podcast Network at Twit on Twitter and on Facebook and Twit.TV on Instagram. Thank you very much, everyone, and we will see you next time.